I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's another Sunday edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Justin Cuthbert, Julian McKenzie, and Julian... It's not like you don't shine every week, but I feel like this is going to be a particularly strong show from you. No man has their finger pressed more firmly on the pulse in Montreal. We have major news to discuss involving the Canadians. So are you ready to deliver in a way that Claude Julien did not? Ooh. So a uh, point for this Julian, no points for the other Julian, who uh, is without a job. But we'll be chilling on the $5 million salary he's supposed to get next year anyway. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's always a pretty good consolation prize for coaches, but I'm sure most of them, maybe not Mike Babcock, but most yeah, of them would at least like to be in their position still, even if they have uh, serious issues with their general manager, as we learned a little bit more about Mike this week. But this news, or this week, belonged to the Montreal Canadiens and their decision to fire Claude Julien. So I'm going to put you on the hot seat. I'm going to grill you a little bit because, again, finger, pulse, Julian on Julian. Uh, what was your immediate reaction to the news and what did you have to stop doing immediately in order to cover said news? Okay. So I'm going to try to, I'll, I'll just, I'll just kind of peel back the curtain here. So the Canadians lose their game to the Ottawa senators, I believe on the Tuesday night, uh, the game is over, uh, the very next day I'm supposed to be recording, uh, a show for the Montreal Gazette called hockey inside out. We record usually every Wednesday. I'm the host of the show. Uh, my editor messages me saying, hey, maybe we should prepare for the show just in case Claude Julien gets fired. And in my mm -hmm. mind, I'm thinking, I mean, I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, you just we just passed a, a whole week off for the Montreal Canadiens where if they wanted to do something, they could have done it. They didn't do it. The Montreal Canadiens are supposed to go to Winnipeg the very next morning, apparently at like 11 o'clock in the morning. So they're leaving from, from Ottawa to go to Winnipeg. So you're thinking if they're going to make this change, that's a little, it's not that much window for time, right? Considering that they'd be playing in Winnipeg the day after. The very next morning, wake up, setting up my laptop, preparing for the show about five minutes before I'm supposed to go on air, go back to my room, check my phone. My editor is calling me and I'm like, why do I have two, three missed calls? And I see all the notifications. Oh, that's what happened. So that's exactly what was, was, what was happening there. That's immediately what happened. My reaction in the moment, surprised at the more of the timing but less so of of Claude Julien getting fired and here's why okay Claude Julien uh with the team that he had in the first month of the year playing amazing hockey some of the most amazing hockey I'd seen Canadians play in quite some time and then they meet the Ottawa Senators at the beginning of February 
and things change. They get played tightly and they don't look like that same team. In fact, they look like the 2019-2020 Montreal Canadiens, a team who struggled to, to score offensively. They were able to put up shots and they were good at five on five, but they were not able to produce as well as they did in January. Uh, they were frustrating, especially against teams that they should easily be beating. Last year, they they lost four times to the Detroit Red Wings, a team considered to be the worst in the National Hockey League. Yep. And then you're going into this year where after four games, they're 1-1-2 one, one, and two against the Ottawa Senators. My math is right. That's 1-5-2 and two in their last eight games against teams considered to be the worst in the National Hockey League. Mark Bergman, the general manager, saw a team that was repeating some of the bad habits that they had shown during last year's campaign pre-pandemic. And he decided, you know what? Enough is enough. I have to stop this at some point and try to get the team back on the right track. And he had even admitted as much. He had thought about those eight-game uh, winless streaks from last season, and he had saw some of those bad habits from last year, and that's when he kind of started thinking about it. So it's not a total surprise when you kind of think of the last two seasons with Claude Julien as a whole. I'm more just surprised by the timing. I thought maybe he would have gotten a game or two in Winnipeg before like see around now, like when we're having this conversation, I figured now would have been an ideal time at least to, to fire a cold Julian as opposed to when they did earlier this week. Okay. So uh, the one thing I'm kind of curious about is uh, the fans perspective. Did they really want this? I got a note saying, you know, this is classic firing. We got an underperforming team and a coach that doesn't have, you know, years of winning ahead of or behind him uh, that would help, you know, solidify his spot and, and make you believe that something else was around the corner. And this team could sort of turn that corner. Uh but we've only reached the point where this team could actually be successful. I mean, the roster was built to win this season, probably wasn't built to win in previous seasons. So what was the fans' reaction to this move? Did they want it in the same way that Bergevin wanted to change, or, or were they a little dismayed by the decision? I think you'll find a, a big subsection of fans who for sure wanted this to happen. And I'll think that because of what I've been mentioning earlier with how the team had played last year, I think a lot of those kind of bad memories came into their head. And over the last few weeks, it, I've seen a lot of fans just kind of get into full on panic mode, obviously just looking at Cole Julian's performance, wondering why yeah. the penalty kill and, and special teams has been bad. And that's one big reason why Kirk Muller is out of a job. He played a role in the special teams as well. Uh, what Carey Price's play has come under scrutiny over the last few weeks. Uh, Phil Deneau, that was supposedly was their top center last year, was playing on that consistent line with Thomas Tatar and Brandon Gallagher. I saw a comment yesterday saying that because of the fact he hasn't scored in so long, he's starting to tread towards Scott Gomez territory. Remember Scott Gomez when he couldn't score for like a little over a year and a bit? That's where we're at with Phil Deneau. A lot of people have just been kind of panicking over so many facets of this team. So definitely you find fans who would just have no problem with, with Cole Julian getting fired when he did. But I think you'll also find a few fans as well who are still a bit surprised by the timing of everything. And they do wonder if the Montreal Canadiens had won that game in Ottawa, if their fortunes might have changed a little bit. And maybe they go into Winnipeg and things are a little better. Maybe they get one win out of two, and all of a sudden Cole Julian is still, is, is still kind of sitting pretty a bit. So I think you'll definitely find fans who were definitely in favor of the firing considering of what had happened last year and what had happened over the last month or so but I think there are a few others who are still kind of a bit surprised more or less by the timing just like I was. Claude Julian's one of the more you know confusing coaches in terms of his track record uh, previous I mean we're seeing this is a coach that always has success where he goes in terms of five on five play and underlying numbers and all that 
Um, we saw him fired from Boston for the Boston Bruins. I believe it was in 2017. That team had the best, some of the best underlying metrics and the worst shooting percentage in the NHL. And that was really the reason why they were underperforming. Now we're seeing the Montreal Canadiens, one of the best teams at five on five. Yes, big time issues on special teams, but a team that was able to succeed in the, you know, the basic uh, structure of the game and what it always defaults to, to start the game is five on five play. And that's where you have to be good at first in order to have success. And Julian has always been able to provide that. So why do the numbers not translate to results under Julian? You know, this is for the second time. Why does this continue to happen? I'm curious about that. I can only speak from, from the Montreal perspective, but I, I have to imagine, I guess when, when the Ottawa senators started playing them really tough at the beginning of the year, uh, well, not the beginning of the year, excuse me, beginning of the month, I should say. Yeah. We saw a team that was going from not necessarily running gun, but they were taking advantage of open space. They were u- having all these outlet passes, and they were they were a pretty good, well-oiled machine speaking w- with their offense. But with this Canadiens team over the last month or so, as well as they've been generating you know, shots on net, you got to look at where these shots are coming from, too. The Ottawa Senators and, and and even the Toronto Maple Leafs after them as well, and some other teams were f- even the Winnipeg Jets over the over uh, over the weekend as well. They started forcing a lot of shots to the outside. And if you're a team that's shooting like 30, 40 shots a night, but like most of your shots are coming from the off wall, a lot of them are coming from the point and are missing the net. How effective of an offense are you really? Mm-hmm. And at least last year with Claude Julien's team. He could say that as good as they were five on five, they still kind of lacked that finishing presence. You know, Brendan Gallagher can only do so much. Thomas Tatar could have only done so much. Uh, Mark Bergevin over the offseason went out and, and got a Tyler Toffoli. He got Josh Anderson. I know he's been injured over the last few games, but he's been a, a pretty good scorer for the Montreal Canadiens. He's been a good forward presence for them. He went out and he got pieces that were supposed to help them score. They're able to generate offense. It's just a matter of them needing to finish. He got those pieces and when it came time for them to to finish over the last month, they just were not doing that. So I think the biggest thing is, is just Cole Julian, for whatever reason, with with this Montreal Canadiens team, whenever teams are able to shut down the middle and the Canadiens are forced to kind of fire from the point and from the outside, Cole Julian has not found a way to adjust to, to that defensive structure. And that's probably a big reason why he's out of a job right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not trying to defend Julian, but there has to be a scapegoat, and he is the, you know, he's the only real scapegoat that actually could be identified. I mean, we're looking at it, it's not going to be Mark Bergerman, he's not going to take, you know, get rid of himself. He has done a lot of really good things, but there are mistakes here. I mean, the fact that Carey Price is having a terrible season is probably the main reason, not terrible season, it's, it's, it hasn't been good lately. It's been pretty bad, actually. I don't, I don't want to say terrible, but it's not been very good. Um, is is as much of a reason that Claude Julian's out of a job as anything. But we're also looking at, you know, Mark Bergevin's track record of success, winning trades, winning trades, winning trades, building a good farm system. Um, but the fact of the matter is he doesn't have that guy who can be the dangerous weapon on a power play to really elevate a special teams unit. And, you know, he's had a lot of years to try and get that guy. And he, as you mentioned, he's brought in some talent, some guys that can score goals, but no there's not a player that can be that difference maker routinely on a power play. And I think that's one of the big things that they're lacking. Now you can cover up a lot of that by getting scoring by committee, having a deep team as they are having good five on five success. But all of that goes up in smoke if your goaltender is not playing very well. So if Carey Price had even been performing at an average rate among starters this year, would this move have happened? 
Maybe not. I think the Montreal Canadiens, if they found themselves in a position where they didn't have the free fall that they were having over the last little while, they would still probably keep Cole Julian. But again, you think back to last year, and it's funny you mentioned, you know, Mark Bergevin has done a lot of great things. And he's done some pretty good trades over the last little while. And 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 getting Cole Julian in place of Michel Therrien looked like a really good move at the time because Michel Therrien, even though he brought his teams to the conference final, there were some pretty deeply flawed teams. They were teams that were really reliant on Carey Price. But since then, what, Carey, what, Claude Julien had like one real playoff series before yeah. the pandemic. They lost to the New York Rangers. If it wasn't for the pandemic, the Montreal Canadiens very likely would have missed the playoffs, I think, for the fourth year and for the fourth time in five seasons. There's mm-hmm. a lot of pressure surrounding the Montreal Canadiens right now. And if the Montreal Canadiens find a way to miss the playoffs again this year, I can't see Mark Bergevin keeping his job. For all the good that he's done to try to reset the team and acquire Nick Suzuki and rebuild the farm system, at the end of the day, this is a franchise, this is a market that thrives on being in the playoffs and seeing successful teams. And Mark Bergevin, as good as he's done to to kind of reset the team and, and kind of bring the team back, he has not brought the team back to the playoffs. Yes, they had their moments in the bubble, and it's inspired a lot of the changes we've seen right now. But, of course, that also came because of the pandemic. I mean, over the last month, what we've seen so far, it's almost kind of undone everything that's happened. And, and when, one of the cool things we saw in the bubble was Carey Price playing at that top elite level again. Exactly. And he looked refreshed, and he looked great. And now he just... Here's the thing. I thought the idea of a goaltending controversy seemed a bit ridiculous at the time. And I'm sure if you talk to those players in the locker room, knowing how good they know Carey Price can be, they are in no way or have, I mean, they never go out and suggest a goaltending controversy should happen. I'm not saying it should, but now I understand why a lot of people are, are kind of beating that drum. And even Jake Allen has, has, has played really well over the last few games as well. If Carey Price played a little better, I think Sportsnet had some stat that since like last February, He's had like a save percentage under 900. Like it has not been good for Carey Price in regular season games. If that was slightly over 900, Montreal Canadiens probably don't make that move. He does play a role in this. Certainly. And I think, you know, we meant I'm talking about a just world and that it wouldn't only fall on Julian. I mean, the note that I get, you know, you know, classic firing being the underperforming team and no track record of success. I mean, that applies to Mark Bergevin. And maybe he understands that the pressure is on him. And that, as you mentioned, if he doesn't, you know, have any success this year, if he's not able to make the playoffs with this team, then it probably is going to fall on him. And he had one more move and he made it. So his guy now is Dominique Ducharme, uh, who has had a couple games now. It hasn't been immediate success right away. Um, But can you identify a few things that have changed under Ducharme and what will continue to be tweaked, do you think, as Montreal tries to right the ship here? So what I was able to to kind of see so far, at least in in the game Saturday night, Uh, This is a team that is trying to get back to their aggressive playing style. That's that gave them success at the beginning of the year, trying to be more aggressive on their forecheck. And they were generating a lot of shots over the weekend. Again, like I was mentioning before, if you're getting them a lot from the point and from the off wall, whatever, you're not going to generate a lot of offense that way, but they at least got themselves some high danger chances. I think they got 12. Uh, And uh, I I'm trying to remember how much Winnipeg had in comparison, but the most important thing you should remember here is that Montreal had more high danger chances than the Winnipeg Jets did. Here's something else that was interesting. I mentioned the penalty kill and the power play has not been good. It's going to take some time. Alex Burroughs, who has now been added to the coaching staff, and he's going to be working on that. During their morning skate on on Saturday, normally you, you 
just a light day, you know, light morning, just to get a feel for the game. Canadians are working on their special teams. They're, the team, the coaching staff is not wasting any time to try to improve things that have not really gone their way over the last few weeks. It, it's going to take a few games. Uh, Jake Allen in the post-game availability last night, uh, he was on the St. Louis Blues team that uh, saw Mike Yo get uh, dismissed in favor of Craig Berube, and we all know what happened after that. He was mm-hmm. saying that it took them about two, three weeks before they before that team really got themselves into gear. There's a lot of adjustments that have to be made. The only thing is, is that in a 56-game season, there is not a lot of time for you to kind of just take a few games to kind of figure yourself out. You, you need to figure that out in a week or so. You know, that's and that's why a lot of people were saying, hey, why couldn't the, this firing have happened during that week off the Canadians had? It would have given a guy like Dominic Ducharme all the time in the world to kind of adjust and, and see what he could do with this team, but He's going to have to do it on the fly now. But at least in that Saturday game, uh, it looked as if that team uh, showed some positive developments with the shots they were trying to able to get, they were able to generate uh, with the forecheck that they were able to do. And this was without Josh Anderson again, who's still injured. As I said, finger on the pulse. Uh, that's uh, the situation in Montreal with Claude Julien out, Dominique Ducharme in. Uh, it's going to only get more interesting in Montreal. So uh, lots to dig into in future episodes. But for now. Let's shift our attention to the West Division. We were going to discuss the teams that we thought have been elevated to, you know, yeah, we'll probably pass on watching them to Game Center live favorites. And I thought that was a good idea until I realized that we were both probably just going to pick the Minnesota Wild. So let's just focus on them. Six straight <laughs> wins after Mac- Matt Dumba had a buzzer beater against the Los Angeles Kings on Saturday night. They're now first place in the West Division. What is going on in Minnesota? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. They're playing some good hockey. And I'll tell you what, it's cool to see them play really well considering that franchise has been mired in mediocrity for the better part of what? five the last five years maybe even longer than that ever since they signed zach parisi and and and, and ryan Suter to those contracts it's just been a weird situation there they're 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 not necessarily bad enough to get a worse traffic but they're not good enough to be considered a true contender i like this story and i like the fact that they've been playing well over the last few games they, they're the hottest team in the nhl right now and this is in yeah. a division where they've got Vegas, which is a team that's supposed to be a cup contending team. Colorado's in that division as well. That's a team that I thought was going to go out there and, and win the Stanley Cup this year. They still very well could, but they're in a situation now where they have to think about the Minnesota Wild. I thought, you know what, if that fourth team that was going to be in, if it's either them or the Arizona Coyotes, maybe more Minnesota over Arizona. So maybe it's not a complete surprise considering that Minnesota, I think, could still be a playoff team in that division. But to see them kind of play – 
what I think is above themselves. Look at the roster. I don't think they're necessarily a team that you would look at on paper and be like, whoa, they're, they're a force to be reckoned no. with, not by any stretch of, of the imagination, but they've been a really cool team to follow over the last little while. Yeah, and you mentioned like you don't it, the 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 names don't pop off the page, uh, but there's lots of you know new or relatively new bodies. You know, Matt Zuccarella, Zuccarello, Nick Bukestad, Kirill Kaprizov's obviously a guy we're going to talk about. Victor Rask, emergences of, of Jordan Greenway and Joel Eriksson-Eck. For that reason, I think a lot of credit has to go to their head coach Dean Evason, and it's not easy to take over for a guy like Bruce Boudreau, who has all this success, elevates teams that are not quite as good as they should be on paper, um, but what Dean Evison's done is really changed the way the the Wild play pretty dramatically and for the better, uh, you know, after coming from a coach like Bruce Boudreaux is always better, who always seems to get uh, more from the sum of its parts or, or it turns out that his team is, is, is more than the sum of its parts. Uh, implementing systems with a collection of players that have just been thrown together, it seems. So I think a lot of the credit has to go to the coaching staff, but a lot of the credit online goes to Kirill Kaprizov but it's more than Kirill Kaprizov. I mean, you just talk about, talk, I named off some guys who are just having a lot of success, but let's not forget about Capo Kakinen, their goaltender, who's taken over for, for Cam Talbot. And I think he's pried loose the starter's role from Talbot with an 8-4 and four record on the season. Like a lot of good things are happening right now. And it's been this sort of mishmash, this collection of players jammed together. And when that happens, you've got to give a lot of credit to the coaching staff who's able to keep these guys on a straight and narrow and, and have it come together so quickly. Uh, so I think we might be looking at maybe the front runner for coach of the year with Dean Evason. Uh, what's your read on, on, on what he's done? The cool thing is that that team under Dean Evason, it, they started looking okay from the bubble. Uh, from the bubble last year, they showed some promising signs, right? So it's cool to see some of that kind of carry over into the next season. And, and now they put themselves in a position where they could be considered a contending team in that West division. I don't disagree with your take at all. I, I, I would be lying if I said I had a full list of who I thought would be considered to be uh, Jack Adams worthy favorites. And it, when, if you had asked me this a month ago, I might've had Claude Julian on that list, but <laughs> things, could Edison, change. things could very well change. And if the Minnesota wild keep themselves, you know, in that two, three spot in the West division, they don't necessarily have to win. They just have to make the playoffs. I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be considered for coach of the year. You, you mentioned sort of empty calories from a shot share perspective with the Montreal Canadiens. I think we're seeing the opposite in Minnesota. I mean, with, this is one of the best expected goals for teams in the NHL, but not a particularly dominant team in terms of shot share. So, I mean, that's one of the things you look at in the performance of a head coach is, okay, who's running the possession? That's, uh, that's as much as they can be in charge of anything, it's that because the systems generally produce those numbers, whether they're working effectively or not. Uh, but it hasn't been this particularly dominant team from that aspect. But what they're doing in terms of generating quality chances and preventing quality chances against uh, is certainly uh, a feather in the cap of Evison. But something maybe we should be looking at a little bit more closely in terms of how we evaluate teams because uh, Minnesota is is maybe not the perfect pitcher of some of a team that you can evaluate really easily. But they're clearly doing some things really really well. And for that reason, you know, being elevated into the Game Center Live rankings, taking a closer eye on what they're doing is probably beneficial to hockey fans and hockey analysts. I mean, the West Division as a whole should be like on, on every hockey fans must watch list. It, it just so happens now that the Minnesota Wild should just kind of creep up a little a little higher on that list. Maybe not necessarily on the level of Vegas or Colorado just yet, but 
they're, they're up there. They're up there, especially if they keep this winning streak going. That double goal, by the way, I, I just need to mention that for a second. That was fire to see. But also, Zuccarello with that pass, uh, I don't know what the – I think there was like three Los Angeles Kings in that vicinity who all got beat by that one pass. And two of them, at least, were not covering Matt Dumba. And I don't know what they were doing on that play. But that was one of the more fun plays to see during this season. And if they get more of that, come on, that that's going to make Minnesota one of the more fun teams to follow in this season. I was going to scoff at the fact that you said that the Honda West division should be a, a division that we all keep our eyes on. But now that I'm thinking about it a little more, I mean, LA is playing a little bit beyond themselves and they're a little bit more exciting than what we thought. A team like Anaheim now has Trevor Zegras in the lineup and they're a little bit more interesting. But I think one thing that we should consider with Minnesota is that they might be performing, you know, six game winning streak right now and, and shooting up to first place in the division. They might be having success right now because they're one of the fresher teams in the league. We've seen a lot of malaise around the NHL this this you know these past two weeks with teams not exactly producing the most exciting hockey and maybe we're we're finding difficulty identifying storylines in there and so on and so forth. But what happened with Minnesota is they they've only played eight games in February due to a COVID nineteen pause and the last six games when everyone else has been playing you know every other night it seems they've looked like the more dominant fresh team. So it could be coming to their advantage, or it has been at their advantage, uh, that they haven't played as much recently. But then you know we got the crush pop can schedule for them coming up if they do in fact play 56 games, and then that could bite them in the butt a little bit. But right now, I think maybe a little bit of the success has to do with you know all the other things we mentioned, but the fact that they haven't played as much, I think that probably helps them as well. That's true. Also, I'll give a shout out to the St. Louis Blues in that division as well. They're a team no less than two years removed from winning a Stanley Cup as well. There's a lot of good teams to watch in that division. And speaking of the St. Louis Blues, I think we have to uh, talk about maybe the biggest clown moment uh, in the NHL this season, which was Jordan Bennington, sort of his lackluster attempt at starting a fight or, you know, assaulting different players on his way off the ice. Uh, He got pulled from the loss to the San Jose Sharks, was not happy about it, probably hearing it a little bit from the Sharks bench as he went towards his own bench. Uh, pushed, I don't know who the first person he pushed, but he had like this little lazy push near the Sharks bench. Then you think he realized and was probably a little embarrassed that he had to go off the ice the other direction because that's how the visiting team gets to the ice pad in San Jose, which is, you know, so a little confusion going on. Takes like a fake blocker punch at Eric Carlson. And then I guess gets called out by Devin Dubnik. You have to see the video if you haven't of him sort of having this little tantrum as he leaves the ice. But Devin Dubnik sort of confronts him. They have this little lazy, sloppy pushing, pushing, pushing match for a second. And then Bennington gets off the ice. There's a certain threshold of aggression you have to meet if you're going to do something as outlandish as Jordan Bennington did. And because he didn't meet that level of aggression that you have to if you're going to actually do something as silly as he did... Uh, he just looked, it, it was kind of embarrassing. The half measures approach to, uh, you know, this little mini riot that he wanted to start by himself kind of looked pretty bad on his part. Uh, do you have any, do you, you want to take any shots at Jordan Bennington for what was one of look, the, one it, of the more did, embarrassing moments all year? It did not look kind of embarrassing. It was flat out embarrassing. But here's my favorite <laughs> part of this entire clip. So Jordan Bennington is skating off. And he's obviously passing the benches or whatever. And one of his teammates is tapping him, you know, hopefully to try to encourage him or whatever. Yeah. He 
that's when he immediately turns around and goes towards the San Jose Sharks bench. Uh, it would not surprise me if he was hearing it from someone on that Sharks bench. Oh, yeah. I want to live. I want to live in a world where Jordan Bennington turned around because he thought someone on San Jose tapped him, and that's why he pushed that guy uh... on the bench. I mean, if you look, if you look at the replay, if you look at the guy who he pushes first, and you try to follow his track, I mean. I can look at the footage again, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But that guy wasn't chilling by the bench, that first guy he pushed. That guy was on a completely other side and was skating towards the bench. And it just so happens after Bennington turns around, he's at the bench, and he's the first guy he sees. And when he gets pushed, he looks genuinely surprised. When we see scuffles in the National Hockey League, and we know guys can really rip into players for, you know, whatever reason. You know, a guy will push a guy and be like, you know what? No, fine. I'll just push you back and we'll get it on. That first player looked genuinely surprised that Jordan Bennington was going to take a shot at him. And nothing came of that. Jordan Bennington just continued to skate on. And then he gave his little like shove or whatever to Eric Carlson, who also looked surprised. Yeah. My whole thing, my whole theory is this. Jordan Bennington was very embarrassed at his performance and was embarrassed at the fact that he had to kind of take a long skate of shame towards the other side of the ice. And in that moment where, you know, you're maybe you're a little bit volatile, you're a little upset at yourself, you kind of do think, you kind of act out a little bit. I think Jordan Bennington was just kind of acting out. And I'm very curious to know how much the San Jose Sharks are talking. I'll, I'll believe that Devin Dubnik definitely wanted to say something. I think in his post-game post, post game comments, he was saying, he was talking about what had happened. And I think he made a remark about how Jordan Bennington was kind of looked like a fake tough guy. So I can believe yeah. Devin Dubnik definitely wanted to shove in at him. But I also want to live in a world where Jordan, Benning, Jordan Bennington was just being a bit too sensitive over what was going on. And I think just one little tap might have just kind of set him off. I could be wrong, but I just want to live in that world. As someone who enjoyed going to bars before we were, uh, you know, forced to live in our homes exclusively for the last 12 months, I feel like I've seen this situation play out at about 2 a.m. a couple times in my life where an aggrieved, overserved fellow makes a little bit of a scene on his way out, but doesn't really amount to anything while he's trying to do it. Like, a, you know, a missed punch, a missed shove, not exactly having the wherewithal to actually connect uh, with any meaning. This is what it felt like to me, like a guy who was just making a scene on his way out of the bar and everyone in the bar was sort of laughing at him as he finally exited the bar. Not Bennington's finest moment. Uh, let's go to uh, the biggest news, I'd say, in the sporting world this week, or at least the most interesting news, was the unveiling of NBA Top Shot, which is, you know, I'm no expert here, but it's basically a blockchain system in which NBA fans or sports fans or just anyone can own moments in the NBA, you know, by sort of buying a pack of virtual trading cards, you can own these moments. And now people are either going to sit on them, they're going to sell them right away for profit, whatever they're going to do with them. It's, it's a new way for the NBA to have driven revenue and to create something that could be, you know, we could be talking about and, and trading in decades to come. And obviously, as as the NHL does, it identifies other things that are working in other, in other areas and thinks about how they can impl implement them themselves. So while I feel like this is very much, you know, it just came out, it's very much in its infancy. We don't know exactly what it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be on other sports leagues to probably follow suit. And we could soon see, 
soon see NHL Top Shot or NHL Top Shelf coming to us uh, in the near future. So Ooh, are you you want you want to something with that name that's good i mean i saw that good. i saw that online but uh i i don't know exactly who i stole it from but if if you are listening <laughs> i i apologize uh but that is i mean that would be the perfect name for it but w- do you think this would have the same cachet in the nhl are you going to be waiting in a virtual line to own moments that we've seen uh previously in the nhl or is this something that seems like it's right up the NBA's alley and like other things only up the NBA's alley. I'm still confused about it. Someone on Twitter described it as, as this, it's as if, if all of the Bitcoin you have was a TikTok, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm a little intrigued at why people are invested in buying a moment that you could go on YouTube and watch whenever you want. Like what is the purpose of having a moment uh, that fine, you can play over and over and it supposedly could generate thousands of dollars that you could ultimately watch for free on your own time, at least for a card, right? At least for a physical card, you know, it's a bit shiny, it's hologram, you have it, you can hold it in your hand. And for someone else to see it, you have to show them. Yeah, exactly. But for, for, for this, I'm just, I'm not trying to hate, I'm just trying to understand. I'm trying to figure out like what the science is because there's very, there's a lot of money being poured into this and you're even starting to see nba players uh, take notice of this and and i think like some players are even starting to like they have their own moments and they're encouraging people to buy their own moments mm-hmm. uh, i'm also just curious if the nhl were to do this what moment do you think would generate like hundreds of thousands of dollars because the nba obviously we know their place in the world in the pantheon of, of world sports and how people around the world are invested in the sport I don't think the NHL has that same amount of cachet. So a Connor McDavid goal against the Toronto Maple Leafs where he does the head fake and goes towards the net and scores that incredible goal, how much is that going to be worth? Alexander Ovechkin scoring, you know, on his back, a lucky goal as some people may call it. I still call it skill. It's the goal mm-hmm. of the century. How much is that going to be worth? Sidney Crosby's plays. I'm talking about three of the best players that we have ever seen. And it's very possible they could have moments that cost as much as like a DeMar DeRozan mid-range three. Maybe that's ex- maybe that's excessive here, but that just goes to show, I don't know if, if people are going to, in the NHL world anyway, because we know it to be a bit more traditionalist, I don't know if it's if there's going to be the same interest in, in NHL top shelf, but I'm going to use NHL top shelf for this purposes here. I'm sorry to the person who, who <laughs> has had their intellectual property stolen by Justin. Please don't sue us. But I'm not sure if the numbers are going to be driven up to that same point if it happens i could see people being active but i'm not sure if it's going to be the same thing plus i love having hockey cards yeah i mean i don't think it's going to be the same thing it's all relative right like a lebron dunk in you know in a big moment in a playoff game is going to be worth more than the overtime winner the nick benino overtime winner i guess that we saw like it's obviously benino and lebron james are not on the same playing field but it's always going to be a little bit more valuable in the NBA than it is the NHL. That's just the simple relationship between the two. But I would have, I was scoffing at this idea right away until I saw all the people that seem to be a little bit more in tune with, you know, what becomes worth something like people that I've seen into cryptocurrency, people that I know that are in the stock game and have been for a long time, but talking about 
blockchain for 10 years and they're the ones in line for the NBA top shot. And that makes me think, well, I've got to open my eyes a little bit more because that's clearly like it's clearly if they're interested in it, maybe there's potential there. And I do think there is potential in the NHL, but I think it depends on the players. As you mentioned, the NBA players getting more involved in it and saying, hey, buy this moment and, and I'll do this. I'll do this for you on the other side. So it raises their value and their profile because they understand that all these things are connected. And that's just something that NHL players don't seem to really have a grasp uh, on yet. But yeah, I think it would be cool if you did get in line and you spent a couple bucks and all of a sudden you pulled out the goal that McDavid scored against the Columbus Blue Jackets in his return from broken collarbone. And you're sitting on that and maybe in 25 years, it's this whole thing has exploded and you're sitting on one of the more valuable cards there is. I don't know if that would be one of the more valuable cards there is, but certainly that would be a moment that would be cool to own, even though everybody else can just watch that goal whenever they want. I'm just picturing like, NHL players who would go out of their way to like promote themselves on this fictional NHL top shelf card game. And I'm just picturing like Dale Weiss picking up like a playoff goal he scored against the Boston Bruins. PK Subban, I could see potentially, you know, hey, here's a goal I scored against the Bruins. Here's a goal I scored uh, against the Bruins. He's, he's, he's done this a lot to the Bruins a lot. Who's that huge uh, hit that Subban had? It was Sportsnet was playing it recently. I, I forget who it was on. I believe it was a Boston uh, Bruin. Brad? Was it Marshawn? Yeah, it was Marshawn, and he was, yeah. like, doubled over. Like, if you could own one of the biggest hits in NHL history, and P.K. Subban is is the guy involved, I mean, that seems like a moneymaker to me. I don't know about you. I have a weird question, and this is something that only I would ask because I'm very into media in this way. So, for these cards in the NBA, the moment that you possess, are you simply just watching the play? Is it just, like, the play over, playing over and over and you're just hearing, you know, the in-game noise. Are you hearing the commentary team on these things? Here's, here's an example. Uh, LeBron James had this amazing dunk against the Boston Celtics, I want to say, in 2009 or 2010. It's a pretty dope dunk. But one of the biggest reasons why it's an amazing dunk is because Kevin Harlan is saying, you know, with no regard for human life, yeah. right? Like, does that matter in that too because i feel like sometimes some of these moments that we see as epic as they are sometimes they're kind of elevated a little bit by the people you know kind of bringing color to them so i'm just this is a dumb little question that i have if you're getting a moment am i just watching a play just kind of repeat over and over with no sound am i hearing the commentary i feel like you know if i feel this is just a weird idea i have if you're getting like a radio call for one play versus like another one that's not nearly as good, that should affect some value as well. If I get a goal that was called by Chris Cuthbert, it makes it even better than the one covered by, you know, who's another commentator who's not nearly as good as Chris Cuthbert. Um, I don't know. I'll think of somebody else. Oh, if you're going to bring that up, too. you got to, you got to at least bury someone if you're going to bring that up. Oh my God. You can't, you know. can't have, you got to have it both ways. Okay. You got to do it both okay. ways. Okay. I'm trying to, I'm trying no, to, no, I don't, you don't, don't bury it. Don't bury it. <laughs> <laughs> I had a name and you stopped me from doing it. I won't do no, it. I don't want I don't want to do that. Don't want to do that to anyone. Um no, I think you make a you bring up a good point though. Because okay, let's say I open a deck of cards from NBA Top Shot and I got a Jermaine O'Neal dunk with the Pacers that was basically nothing. You know, obviously might be a little disappointed. But with the NHL, I think what they could do is let's not have a Matt Calvert goal in a nothing game be in the deck. Let's have only exclusively these great moments and let's have something different about these moments than what you would see on YouTube. 
So if you had, you know, all this footage, maybe stuff that we haven't seen from that McDavid goal where there's, you know, EdmontonOilers.com is rolling on it. You've got players mic'd up. You've got a little bit extra you could add. So it's not what it just is on YouTube or Twitter or whatever, then it might give a little bit more juice. I think if you're the NHL, you can't just sell everything because so much, it would just dilute everything. I think you have to have these special moments, things that you cannot find just anywhere else in order to differentiate and to actually have that value because as we mentioned off the top, the NHL is just not the NBA in that in that same way. Yeah, I don't know. I Look, I think anything to kind of add to those cards, already you're at a point where you might not have card values reaching up to the same level as it would be in the NBA, but anything to kind of stick out, that's going to help your product going forward. Also, uh, you know what? I'm not going to mention that commentator. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm no, no. We're, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. No, here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just thought of a genuine moment. Uh, Chris Cuthbert calling like a Brendan Moore overtime winner. You remember that from a few years ago? Uh, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Were you, were you, were you awake for that? Were you asleep? It was late in the uh, night. I mean, as, as old as you think I am, I was still probably pretty young at that point. And uh, I might have been in bed. I don't know. I might have watched on the highlights the next morning. Okay. All right. It was, a, it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. It was like a was decade it? at least. It was at least like over a decade. Over a decade. Yeah, it was a while ago. Okay. Um, anyway, to wrap up that conversation, if the NHL does something, I'll get, I'll get a deck. I'll get a pack of cards. Why not? Yeah, See what happens. Well, well, I'll, I'll buy like the entry level stuff. Like the $9 yeah. stuff. So it's a lottery ticket. Yeah. You're like, who cares? Okay, before we go, quick shout out to our producer, Ben, who does a fantastic job for us every week, but also produced a fantastic piece for Sportsnet recently on Wayne Simmons, who pens a letter to his young self. Our guy, our producer, Ben, provided the visuals to that. It's definitely worth a look. I will tweet it out. So shout out to Ben. Shout out to you, Julian. You stepped up when Claude Julian didn't. That's it for us on the Sunday edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.